So, Matthew chapter 2. There is a God and he is alive and well because I don't have to read Matthew chapter 1. If we did, Phil, I was going to call you back up. You did such a good job last week. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he, he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's death, life, are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned, warned in a dream, 
he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Father, as we consider this portion of scripture, uh, I just pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, that you would uh, bring action out of this study today in our lives, that we would take it out from here and apply it to those people around us in our community and our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys. <clears throat> so, every once in a while, when I uh, send my my stuff out to the folks who put the verses up on the screen, I change things. <laughs> so they're not going to have this one. Sorry. <laughs> Hey, Rach. So if you guys want to see the words to this one, you're going to have to look it up. But you have your Bibles with you, so you should be able to do it. We're going to come right back to Matthew 2. But I want you to go to Psalm 19 as we uh, prepare to take a look at Matthew 2. It says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night into night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is, is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. God's word lays out for us that the message that the Lord lays out is broader than what sits on your lap. The Lord has been speaking through nations. In fact, if you do a careful study of the word of God, you're going to run across people and you're not going to understand how they came to know the Lord. Right? Moses bumps into a the man who will become his father-in-law, who is called the priest of El Elyon, God Most High. 
how that relationship happened. Genesis 14, Abraham's coming back from the slaughter of the five kings. He runs into a fellow named Melchizedek, who is also called the priest of El Elyon, God Most High. There are relationships of other nations, and the scripture doesn't tell us how they come to know the Lord. You guys have all heard of Balaam, right? We talked about him a few weeks ago. He was a prophet of God Most High. He's not Jewish. He's Gentile. How did he come to know El Elyon, God Most High? The psalmist would declare that the heavens, they declare the glory of the Lord. And there are things that we see that we don't understand where the message comes from and sometimes we can start linking some dots together and today's one of those days we're going to have wise men coming from the east where they come from why are they looking for a king what's all this about it's interesting because in 1980 the uh griffith observatory in la 1980 some of you guys were around right I was around. I know some of us weren't. 1980, Griffith Observatory, through the, the study of, uh, I think the, guy, the guy's last name was Meldon, they are, have the capability in their astronomy computer to roll the skies back and see the stars from 2 and 3 B.C., that's kind of interesting, no? And there were some things that he found in the stars in 2 and 3 BC that caused most of the observatories around the world that do something special for Christmas to change what they do. And they started to go look at the, the stars that were in the heavens at that time. Yeah, something interesting happened. Jupiter lined up with Venus and created a star. Now, the star came out early, probably in June. I think, I want to say June 17th. They started to be able to see this star. This star that lined up and passed through, interestingly enough, the constellation Leo. Leo's the lion, king of the beasts. Jupiter's the king planet. And this giant star passing through Leo might have been part of what got some guys in the east going, hey, something's going on. And as they roll the chart through, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to watch it in a moment. We'll take a look at um, a representation of it. But as they, as they roll it, forward then Jupiter is going to leave Venus Venus goes her way Jupiter goes his way Jupiter is going to pass by Regulus three times Regulus was is known as the king star all of these things going on in the heavens the psalmist declares declare the glory of the Lord and you have some guys looking at a sky to the east in Judea 
who are watching these things happen in the heavens. And it was enough to get them to start moving toward Jerusalem. It was enough to get them to think, hey, something's going on. Now, part of the reason why I think they put the pieces together is a guy by the name of Daniel. You guys heard of Daniel, right? Daniel, one of the things Daniel became during the Babylonian Empire, which predates these events by hundreds of years, one of the things that Daniel was given because of his wisdom was authority over the school of the Magi. And Daniel certainly had scriptures. We know he read the book of Isaiah. We know he read Jeremiah. He's going to quote from those in his own book. And it causes us to speculate, what did he leave for the Magi? What did they they see? It says in Matthew 2, verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The heavens declare there's a king being born. It says, For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The heavens are drawing these men. We have seen his star. Remember I told you Balaam. Balaam quotes in Numbers 24. This is one of Balaam's prophecies. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel and crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. There's a king coming, Balaam said. A scepter will arise and a star will be seen. Revelation twenty two sixteen. Jesus, speaking of himself, says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. There seems at least in some way to be an astrological connection. Now, I am not saying thus saith the Lord. But I'm going to share with you what I think. And you guys can all come on Monday and argue with me about it. You know how much I like to do that. There are two books I'm going to pull this from. One of them is The Star That Astonished the World. That is a book that you can buy on Amazon for $500 for the paperback. We live in a crazy world these days. The good news is you can also read it for free online. So I didn't buy it, (laughs) but I read it. The second book is a book called Reversing Hermon. It's uh, by Dr. Michael Heiser. And in each of these books, they reference this, this thing I'm going to show you. In fact, in a moment, I'm just going to show you a couple of minute video by Dr. Michael Heiser trying to explain it to you. Because if I do it, then I'm going to say all these things and you guys are going to look at me like, what are you talking about? And why are you talking about this? So I am going to appeal to someone smarter than me who hopefully can uh, can make it easier to understand. But I want you to understand these things. If all they had was 
Isaiah, which I know Daniel read, in Babylon at the time of Daniel. And they read Isaiah 7.14, which we talked about last week. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, remember? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And if they were astronomers, people who studied the stars, which we know the ancient world did a lot of this, and they were looking for a sign in the heavens that the virgin would conceive and bear a son in the time span between uh, three, from 3 B.C. to 2 B.C., in the heavens, they would have seen it. And John wrote to us about it in Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, it says this. A great sign appeared in heaven. What What if that's literal? A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon on her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant, crying out with birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven to cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. What if there really was a sign in the heavens that declared that? And if there was a sign in the heavens, there was one day in 2 BC that all of those things could happen. September 11th, 2 BC, the first of Tishri, the Jewish New Year, the Feast of Trumpets. The day when Israel would always crown her new king. What if that's the things the Magi saw? So let's take a minute, just a couple of minutes, Try to track with Dr. Michael Heiser. He's going to show you. And maybe you'll see what we're talking about. If it works. This is a Zodiac mosaic in a Jewish synagogue. There are a lot of these. A couple dozen of them that archaeologists have found. And you would look at this and say, well, you know, these Jews must have been pagans then. No, no. They had a different perception of what was going on in the sky and who's in charge and what it means, as opposed to the pagans. Pagan astrology, astronomy, there really wasn't much of a difference in the ancient world, is more like what we, look, what we think of today with horoscopes, that individual birth signs, you know, when I was born, what day, what's going on, that determines my fate, it determines my personality, it determines the outcomes of my life. No, it doesn't do any of those things. A Jew would say, that's heresy. 
Only God is sovereign. What you can tell, though, is that God is working a plan because God's plans are linked to time. So we need to be paying attention to what the skies are doing because they might tell us something about what God is about to do. Now, the people who are really into this would be the people at Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Uh, they have a number of astronomical texts there. They track this like, let's put it this way. They separated from the Pharisees. They thought the Pharisees were liberals because the Pharisees used a calendar they didn't like. So, you know, we, 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 we hear that and we think it's crazy, but they were, they were that serious about it. But I want to move from this idea that there was a Jewish conception of the skies were important, what's going on here, because they telegraphed certain things, to Revelation 12. Now, I can't prove this, but I suspect that what Paul was thinking, we actually have recorded in Revelation 12. But John, in Revelation, says this. You know, several times he says, I looked up in the sky and saw. What if John actually meant what he said? What if he's keying parts of Revelation to astronomical signage? What if he's doing that? A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, verse 5 is crystal clear. It's quoting a messianic psalm. Okay, it's quoted elsewhere about Jesus. This is a reference to the birth of the Messiah. The notion of being caught up to God in his throne is a, is a notion of the resurrection and ascension. But before that, you get all this astronomical imagery. Now, I'm not the first one to suggest this, uh, but I suspect very strongly that this is what Paul was thinking about when he said, you know, hey, you know, have, have people heard about, you know, the Savior? Heard, heard, like, heard, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, again, you're expecting to say no. And, and he says, well, they actually have. And then he quotes Psalm 19. See, Revelation 12 doesn't exist yet. Okay, Revelation is the last book of the New Testament. But he quotes Psalm 19. It says, yeah, they've heard. The heavens declare the glory of God, so on and so forth. All these verbs of communication. Paul is associating the knowledge of the Messiah King, his arrival, with something going on in the skies. That much we can say. And Revelation 12 gives us a pretty easy thing to track in an astronomy program. Now, I'm going to go through some of this, but before I do it, let me say what I'm not saying. There are those in evangelical circles, their belief was that 
you could look at the constellations of the skies and they told you the entire plan of salvation. Like they went through the Romans road in the heavens. I don't believe that. Okay, that overclaims the data. What I do believe is that, like the Magi, there's something going on at a certain time in history that told them there's going to be a divine king born in Bethlehem. Saddle up the camels. We have to go see. Jews would have noticed it. Gentiles, like the Magi, would have noticed it because they were watching. And they believed that the creator God, the God of Israel, was capable of telegraphing stuff like this. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Dead Sea Scrolls calendar that the Qumran people used is the only calendar in the ancient world that creates a time window for the Messiah's arrival that matches Jesus. Okay, I don't think that's a coincidence. So having said that, let's get into what I think we can claim. On your screen, you see a few things. There's the sun and the moon, and then there's a line. The line is called the ecliptic. This is a line that astronomers will draw to track the movement of the constellations. You notice the sun and the moon there. The sun is in the midst of the woman, the virgin, Virgo. Okay, and Virgo, again, there's different ways to understand the 12 stars around her head, depending on which astronomer you, know, you, you would read that uh, you can get 12 stars in this or that method. But again, she's the woman with the 12 stars, the virgin who is about to give birth. The sun is in her midst. It's Revelation 12. And the moon is at her feet. You'll notice above her head, I've included, I've let my astronomy program show Regulus and Jupiter. Now, they are not mentioned in Revelation 12, but if you put the information in Revelation 12 into an astronomy program, this is produced. What's the big deal about Regulus and Jupiter? Jupiter was the king planet because it's the biggest one. Regulus was viewed as the king star because of its brightness. Okay, here, they are overlapped. They are superimposed on each other. If you are one of these old ancient astronomy guys, that's going to draw your attention because both are associated with kingship. Constellation Virgo is the only constellation that represents a woman. For 20 days, Virgo was clothed with the sun, but the exact day when the moon was under her feet at the same time, and by the way, when Regulus and Jupiter intersect, and this is the view over Jerusalem, by the way, that could only occur during an 80-minute period within those 20 days. Okay, astronomy is linked to time so we can calculate. You'll notice I've put the stick figures in now for the constellation so you can see this a little better. We've got in the center there, that's Virgo. She doesn't look as attractive as a stick figure. <laughs> Sun, moon at her feet. Jupiter and Regulus co-joined. And what is the constellation above Virgo? It's the lion, it's Leo. What does that mean to a Jew? The lion is the sign of what? The tribe of Judah, okay? Judah, Regulus and, and Jupiter are intersecting in Leo. What was that king, you know, what tribe was he supposed to be from? 
Oh yeah, yeah, Judah. And you notice below her feet, in modern astronomy programs, we have two constellations. One is Libra, the other is Scorpio. In the ancient world, they were one constellation, and it was like a scorpion with pinchers. And scorpions were at times referred to it as a dragon, but you have another option for the dragon. That is Hydra, also located below Virgo, but off the ecliptic. Doesn't really matter, you got two choices. Okay, he's ready to devour the child when the child is born. There's a small window of time when all of these things are present. September 11, 3 BC date also corresponded, what a coincidence, to Rosh Hashanah, Tishri 1, New Year's Day for Jews and the Day of Trumpets. Tishri 1 was also the New Year's Day of the civil calendar, according to the calendar accepted in Judah during the divided monarchy. In other words, it marked the first day of the reign of every new Davidic king. What a coincidence. This is a zodiac mosaic in a Jewish synagogue. There are a lot of these, a couple dozen of them, that archaeologists have found. And you So to me, it's interesting to start to try to think about where does all this come from? Where, where do they get the idea? Where do they see what made them come? What makes them come and ask the questions that we're going to see? And, and why is this recorded in Matthew's gospel? Because Matthew wants you to understand that Jesus is the king of kings. He is the king of the Jews. In Matthew, you will see Jesus rejected by his people. But at his birth, you will see him celebrated by the nations. The, represented by the Magi, not Jews, who will come to worship the Jewish Messiah. And the end of Matthew is going to say what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and gather. And why did these Magi come? They said to worship. We've come to, to worship the one who's to be born, the, the king who's to come. Now, I just want you to realize that there are different times in history where these events happened. I want to say somewhere around 63 B.C., because there was a, a someone had a dream and they thought they had an interpretation of a king coming in the stars, Caesar slaughtered children. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just because there was a chance that a king would come. We see here the Magi wanting to come and worship. Jesus, when he stood outside of Samaria and he was talking to the Samaritan woman, you remember what he told her? Behold, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They came to worship the king. Now, here's what we know. Jesus is born. Now, traditions, we, we are always trying to wrestle down traditions. And you guys know, once upon a time, we sit around our tree, our nativity, and we have shepherds and wise men both there. And then later on, we said, well, you can't have shepherds and wise men both there because it probably took longer for the shepherds or for the wise men to get there. 
And uh, the scripture says they were in a house. And so maybe that happened a couple years later. And that's why Herod kills all the babies two years old and younger that were in uh, Bethlehem at the time. And when we and when we look at this, I just have this incredible desire to, to just tell you the truth. So all of the mangers were connected to houses, just so you know. And the idea that because they're in a house does not require that it is two years later and they're still there in Bethlehem. It could have been at the same time. It could have been right after the shepherds came through. So I know we are often trying to nail everything down just so, and we, we come into the text and we, and we do things, and then we just all run with it and assume, well, that has to be how it is. I love kicking us in the tradition. So lay your traditions down and just let the Bible say what it says. Don't try to make it say more than what it's saying. Just let it say what it says. In verse 3 of Matthew 2, it says, Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now I want you to understand, not only is he hearing and seeing these guys from the east that have come through town, but these things that were going on in the heavens were never quiet. People would start rumbling. Oh, did you see the king star? Do you see the, the stars in the heavens? Oh, a new king is coming. Just happens to be the first of Tishri. It happens to be the day when new kings are crowned. And the King Herod was a, a fellow that got a little uptight about people trying to take his crown. In fact, it has been said that it was safer to be his pig than one of his children. Because he's going to slaughter his children. He's going to kill his wife for fear of someone trying to take what is his. Now, during this time, what's going on? You have wise men coming and the king hears about it and he's troubled and so is all of Jerusalem. You see it there, right? All of Jerusalem. It could be because there's a huge number of people coming in. We usually say three wise men because there's three gifts. Or it could have been because of all the rumors flying around that a king was going to be born. You know that the Bible says at just the right time, Christ came. You know that, right? And I don't believe in coincidences. I call them Godwinces, and God can do it any way he wants. But the people, the world had this idea, something important is happening. And you have this concept happening, and then people see something in the stars, and they say, here's what's going on in the stars. And then about that time, a bunch of wise men come to town, and they say they're looking for a king. You can see how one event upon another upon another gets some hype rolling. And Herod the king, he's greatly troubled. And so it says in verse 4, he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? Yeah, where is this? Where You know, it seems like this, this just melts my noodle, just so you know. <laughs> so all of these things line up. These wise guys show up and they say, we want to go worship the king who's been born. And Herod, he goes, he goes, yeah, it's something in the Bible about a king supposed to be born. Where is he supposed to be born at? And nobody is taking any of it serious. That none of them believe it. He says, 
where's that? Where's the Christ? Where's the Prince? Where's the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King? Where's he supposed to be born? So they look it up in the Bible. They look it up in the scrolls and they say, oh, okay, well, it says here in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem's five miles away from Jerusalem. The wise men, seeing the star in the east, recognizing the concept of this king coming out of Judah, went all the way to Jerusalem, and they get there and they say, yeah, it's five miles from here. Five miles from here, he's, he's over there in Bethlehem. Now, I know you and I, we get this idea because we live in a modern world of all the, the possible ways, you know, that, how complicated it could be. But the reality is, mathematically, the, 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 the mathematical equation about how many babies could there be in Bethlehem at this time? 20. Twenty babies born in Bethlehem. Only one of them in a manger. Which one you think got the most hype? Wait, one in a manger and a bunch of shepherds came the night he was that he was born. You don't think people talked about that? Or the angels in the heavens? You don't think nobody saw? So when wise men, when they get to Bethlehem, how hard do you think it is to find out where this baby, that all these, all these coincidences are piling up, yes? Into a giant godawence that says something is going on, but the scribes and the priests couldn't be bothered to go five miles to see. Because they don't really believe any of that stuff. Life just continues to go on like it always has. You ever heard that? The Lord isn't coming. He, it's been 2,000 years. God's people begin to believe it's not going to happen. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah... For from you shall come the ruler who will shepherd his people Israel. He's quoting out of Micah. In Micah 4.8 it says, Now you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. So he's, he's talking about Zion to Jerusalem. And to you there's, there's going to be one who comes. The kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. And in chapter 5 verse 2 it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are... Too little to be among the clans of Judah. Nobody really thinks much of them. And I'm sure that fits just perfectly with God's purpose, right? Because he always chose the big and the fancy, didn't he? Just so you know, this is my biggest problem with the story of Samson. Because every time somebody makes a movie of Samson, what do they do? They go find some dude who has lived his whole life in a gym... And they make him play Samson. And he comes out all yoked. And if anybody saw this giant atlas of a man, they would say, that guy's strong. I'm going to tell you, when you get to heaven and you see Samson, that's not how he's going to look. Because God doesn't use the things that will bring glory to the one. He uses things that bring glory to God. 
so that when Samson did something amazing, people would say, how did he do that? Do you see that little scrawny guy pick up the gate and run it out of town? But this is sometimes how our mind works. No, it's saying from the little town of Bethlehem, there's going to be one who comes out of you who's, who's going forth is from of old. He's ancient of days. But he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.4 says this, And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will dwell secure, for now he will be great to the ends of the earth. They're saying, look, this guy's not going to, this king who's coming is not going to be a despot like Herod or, or the Caesars or any other king you've ever heard of. He's going to be like a shepherd. So in John, when it says that he is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep, when John the Baptist sees him and declares, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You have a king unlike any king who has ever been. Who was born in a little town called Bethlehem. So it says in verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time they saw the star. When they first saw this king star arise. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship. You guys go do the hard work, and when you got it all figured out, come tell me about it, and I'll come worship him. And so the wise men leave his presence. They go five miles to Bethlehem, and they find the place where the child was born. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came the rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they're walking. As they come to Bethlehem, they notice, man, look at that star right up there. We're in the right place. They find the place where the child is, the wonder of the star. Look, I don't know if it's the alignment of the planets. It doesn't really make sense for it to be a comet. I don't know that it couldn't be an angel because the Bible calls angels stars occasionally as well. But I do think all of these pieces fit together kind of strange at right about the right time, at right about the right time of year, at right about the right time on the calendar for the nation of Israel for a king to be crowned. And Matthew, I think, is pointing to all of those things to bring them to our attention. In verse 11 it says, They went into the house, and they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Magi. Astronomy geeks. From Babylon. Got up and walked all the way to Jerusalem, and then to Bethlehem, to worship what they learned was coming by watching the stars. Interesting, no? They came to the place where he was. And they brought him three gifts, right? Everybody knows those gifts? They're famous now. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
If you go back into the Old Testament, when the queen of Sheba came to see the wisdom of Solomon, she brought very similar gifts to him. And oftentimes when we talk about these gifts, we say, well, gold, gold is a, is a kingly gift, right? Most precious of metals. And frankincense, that's a gift for a priest. When the, when the priest would burn incense for the prayers of the people. And myrrh, well, that's a, that's a perfume made most famous for anointing the dead. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they give to a child. I wonder if it was a little strange to Joseph and Mary. Now, so far, you know, I don't know how long it's been. Maybe it's been a few days. Maybe it's been weeks. Maybe it has been years. But so far, there's been some interesting things surrounding the birth of this child. Twice, the angels had to talk to Mary, then to Joseph, then in a dream, it's going to continue to guide Joseph, and then the shepherds come, and they worship, and then the angels sing from the heavens, and they worship, and then these wise men from Babylon, they come and they worship. At some point, you are recognizing all the things that the angels told you was true. But all the holy men back in Jerusalem wouldn't walk five miles to see. That doesn't melt your brain. Oh, they said Messiah is born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've been hoping for that for a long time. I'm going to wait till he's grown up. That way I can stand in a crowd and shout, crucify him. So, the scripture tells us in verse 12 that being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. So, they, they, the wise men are warned in a dream. I don't know what you want to do with that. I actually believe what it says. So, they had a dream. It doesn't say an angel came to them. Maybe they just had a dream that Herod was up to something. But these were the kind of guys that didn't see any coincidence anywhere and they said you know i didn't have a good vibe when we were hanging out with herod what about you yeah i know he seems like kind of a i mean he wouldn't even come that's weird isn't it yeah let's not let's not go home by him we're not going to stop and visit him but that's not enough right that's not enough. Scripture says in verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Rise and take the child to his mother. Flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now when we look up that scripture, you need to understand that that scripture is talking about the nation of Israel. Where was the nation of Israel called from? You have 70 people go into Egypt and a nation comes out of Egypt, right? And the Lord calls Israel his firstborn. Now all of this is an illustration 
of the truth of Messiah that's coming, but it had both a local fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. You understand? The local fulfillment was about the, the, the uh, nation of Israel being called out of Egypt. And the only person who has the authority to say that is a prophet or an apostle. Which one's Matthew? He's an apostle. He's called to the Lord. He walks with him three years. He sees his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, and is called of God and equipped by the Holy Spirit to write for us the gospel of Matthew. So when you go home after the sermon in a couple of minutes, and you pull up YouTube to watch some crazy videos about all the stars, because Jackie showed you a video on stars, and you're going to go find some Yahoo who's going to go on there and he's going to play something for you and he's going to make some statements. Just know the authority of the apostle and the prophet is gone. You have the word of God in front of you and whatever you see has to line up with that. And nobody gets to say, well, this is what this means because they weren't walking with Jesus. Are you guys with me? All right. Now, the guys I told you about, you feel free to watch them. But I don't know if you'll find them or some other Yahoo. You guys know how YouTube is, right? Yeah, it's a scary place. <laughs> Anybody can make a video on YouTube. I even got videos on YouTube. That just goes to show you. All right, so they're warned. So they go to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy. And Matthew's pointing to that prophecy saying, Matthew, with the authority of an apostle, saying, look, that had a local fulfillment for the nation of Israel and a distant fulfillment to the Messiah. Because he has the authority. He was given by Jesus Christ. And so he is walking. Now it says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked, so some time has passed by. Right? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how long, but some time had passed by. And when he saw he was tricked and the wise men never came back, he got furious. And so he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in that region who were two years old or under. Now, every time I talk about this, people say, how come we don't see any of this written in history? They went and slaughtered all these kids. Well, I don't know. How come you didn't know the numbers Phil was going to quote this morning? Well, that was 40 million. When I looked up the, the, the mathematical equation for how many children probably would there be born in Bethlehem on this day, the number was 20. How many of them were boys? I don't know. Let's just say all of them. Killing 20 babies, that's... By, they do more than that in Twin Falls on a Wednesday. It didn't make any waves except to the families who were affected by it, right? So he went in and he, he slaughtered the, the innocent, all those who were two years and under. And Matthew again says, this is to fulfill what Jeremiah the prophet said. And again, when you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah's prophecy has a local fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. Listen, you need to understand that doesn't mean every prophecy does. 
right? So if we're looking at, at prophecy, we need to be looking at all prophecy first for what the scripture tells us it's about. That's why I often say when we study prophecy, it's hard to see things that aren't yet uh, fulfilled. Those are difficult things to see. And anybody can say anything. And, and if, they're, if they're charismatic in any way, they can make a good argument for it. But that doesn't make it true. The only thing that we can do is hold fast to what the Word of God teaches us. Align yourself with the truth of God's word. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted for they were no more. Matthew says the distant fulfillment is this day from Jeremiah 31, 15 and 16. This day following Herod's slaughter of the innocent. In verse 19, it says, Now when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. How do you think he afforded all this traveling? Somebody brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know that all had a street value, right? Do you believe that God is able to supply your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus? So he supplies their needs. They're, they're able to go. Now, we know Joseph is still around in Matthew chapter 2. Right? But it won't be very long before we won't be seeing joseph anymore and we don't know what happens to joseph but we know that joseph was a good husband to mary and a good father at least stepdad to the christ child who was born now scripture goes on and says in verse 22 now when he had heard that archelaus was reigning over judea in place of his father herod he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew. So he doesn't go back to where they came from. He goes back to the region of the Galilee. This is an area in which Jesus is going to do the majority of his ministry. And he settled in a little town there called Nazareth. It's still a little town today. In fact, Nazareth would be what you would call a town on the other side of the tracks. Still today, all these years later, people don't want to say, I I'm from Nazareth. I, I, I came from Nazareth. It says in verse 23, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. When Jesus was being arrested in John chapter 18, he asked, who are you looking for? And they said to him, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. John chapter 19, Pilate, he uses this phrase to put above his cross, to put, to put above the cross of Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. It's part of what's going to create the acrostic over his cross. 
You guys know there wasn't a cross that over his cross? The Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, the four consonants of those words put together the name Yahweh in the acrostic over his cross. In Isaiah 11.1 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch shall rise from his roots. That's the word not said. In number six, it says, Now speak to the people of Israel and say to them, Whether uh, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself unto God, then all the days of his separation he shall be holy unto the Lord. The whole concept of the Nazarite vow, the Natser, the branch, being born or being uh, uh, raised in Nazareth, all of these things are, are things that Matthew is pointing at. Saying, yeah, this is what scripture was talking about when it said that he would be a Nazarene. Well, the scripture doesn't say he would be a Nazarene. The scripture says he's the branch. But branch is the root word for the town of Nazareth. The branch. And it is the, the root from which you get the Nazarite vows, which is what someone takes when they are wholly consecrated to the service of God. Which Jesus said when he said, I only say the things the Father gives me to say. I only do the things the Father has given me to do. All of these things point out the law of the Nazarite, which is why in all the artistic uh, drawings of Jesus, he has what? Long hair. Because they're making the tie. Well, he was a Nazarite. So he wouldn't have cut his hair. Now, we don't know. We get to heaven and we find out he's got short hair. We have to throw all that stuff out. (laughs) But this is what is being laid out for us. Now, in Acts 24, last thing I just want to say this and we'll pray. In Acts 24, 5, it says, For we have found this man, speaking of Jesus, a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. These are all things that were associated with the people, the disciples of Jesus, the sect of the Nazarenes, because they followed the Christ who was called a Nazarene. Now, when we look at chapter 2 of Matthew, you see all of these coincidences line up in one person. And a lot of times we come to Scripture and we say, man, I want to... I want to prove to you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so John, writing his gospel, he he endeavors to do that by the things that Jesus did and said. And one of the things we will point to is this truth. There's a lot of circumstances surrounding this one person in history. Far too many for me to say, it's just some guy. 2,000 years, we're still looking for his return. This Jesus, the branch, that would come up and be born in the line of Jesse, be called the son of David, be crucified on a cross, 
just happens to have the acrostic of the name of God over his head. All of that just happened to happen. To be honest, that just takes too much faith for me. I think it's much easier to see who he is is who he said he was. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can gather and we can study your word, Lord. And I hope somewhere along the way, God, perhaps our curiosity is peaked and there's something we want to know more. We want to understand you more, see you more. So God, I just pray that you would uh, encourage us in that, Lord. As we read your word every day, we go through the one-year Bible and we've already read through uh, most of Matthew. And we see the things that uh, Scripture lays out for us, God. I just pray that day by day, moment by moment, we would be men and women who are growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we want to know you, that we want to understand you, that we look at the stories in Scripture not as some mythology that we're to follow, not some illustration of, of some type of consciousness, but a man who was born according to scripture. A man whose birth was written on the stars around the same time he was born. And that which was written on the stars drew guys who studied the stars to come all the way to Judea, to a little house in Bethlehem, to see the child that was born. That no one could take the life of this child because the heavens protected him. He was watched over and cared for. And as we continue through the life and through the story of, of Jesus of Nazareth, Lord, may we come to understand more and more the fingerprints of God and may we recognize, Lord, as a result, your fingerprints in our life. Where you move, what you've done, where you guide, where you lead. And may we be men and women who live our lives with our eyes lifted high because we know where our help comes from. And we are men and women who have loved your appearing who look forward to the day we see your face. And until that time, we will take seriously the command that you gave to make disciples of every nation. So God, we ask that you be glorified in this place and magnified here, for we want to honor you in Jesus' name.